to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. It is good to be in God's house, isn't it? Aren't you glad we serve a living God, a close God, a God who is in the midst of us, working miracles, amen? Amen. Hey, you can go ahead and be seated. Dad mentioned it, but my name is Evan. I'm the student pastor here. If I haven't gotten to meet you, I would love to meet you. Um, I just want to say thank you to Dad, to our pastor, Pastor Chris, for giving me the opportunity to, to be able to bring God's word today, and, and I'm extremely excited about it. Hey, lately, I've been having a lot of conversations because I've got a big decision coming up. See, me and my two friends have been spending a lot of time talking about video games. Because that's what's important to a now 24-year-old is video games. And here's why. Here's why. The two biggest consoles out right now are PlayStation and Xbox. And coming up in, I think, November sometime this fall, they are releasing the newest systems. And I've got a decision to make. See, I've got one friend that's a PlayStation guy. And right now, I'm a PlayStation guy. But I got another friend who's an Xbox guy. And here's the thing, all growing up in middle school and in high school, I was an Xbox man. And so it's got me thinking, I've got a hard decision to make. Y'all pray for me. I really need the Lord's direction. Anyways, it kind of had me reminiscing because all growing up, I had Xbox. And so, you know, on Xbox, you have your username. I'm the man114, shout out, add me. Anyways, the man114, all growing up, playing Xbox. So you have your little username. And then you would have this thing called Xbox Live Gold. And so that was a $60 a year subscription that, you, that lets you play online and get all these deals and do all this kinds of stuff. And so a few years back, I canceled my subscription, sold my Xbox, bought a PlayStation, the rest is history. But I thought... I think I've lost my old Xbox account. I think it's gone. I think it's done with. But it would be fun to see if I still have it. So I got on my phone and I Googled Xbox Live sign in. I'm like, do I even know my email? And for some reason, my phone had my old email. It was a little auto input. Then I had to reset my password and everything. Next thing you know, bam, I am in there. The man 114 was back in business. Couldn't play any games, but regardless, I was there. I had my, my account. It took me way back. I had my whole friends list and everything. So as I'm scrolling down and looking at all the details, something caught my eye and I had to stop. I looked down and it said Xbox Live Gold. Now, remember, that was the yearly $60 subscription that let me play online and everything. And I looked at it and it said Xbox Live Gold, good until May 2021. So apparently this whole time, somebody has been paying for my Xbox Live, and I didn't even know it. And now let me just let you in on a little insight. I can guarantee you that middle school and high school Evan was not paying for that subscription. So I hate to tell you, Mom and Dad, but I think for the past four or five years, you have been paying for a subscription that I haven't been using. So anyways... That's $60 a year for four, five, we'll do the math later. Come see me after service and we'll get, we'll get that worked out. But seriously, like, I thought I had lost my old account. I thought it was done with. And it turns out it was there waiting on me and paid for this entire time. Now, like, I know that's a goofy story, but I'm willing to bet that there are some people in this room right now who can relate. Some people watching online right now who can relate. And here's what I mean. I'm willing to bet there are some folks who at one point you were serving God and then you turned your back on him and went back into sin. It's what we call a backslider. 
I don't know what you got caught up in. It could be money. It could be relationships. Maybe you just got spiritually lazy, but you turned your back. And for some reason, you're in this room today. For some reason, you're watching online today. You're thinking, maybe I should give God a chance again. But ever since I've turned my back on him, how could he ever take me back? Surely God has turned his back on me. Evan, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the people that I've hurt. Surely God would not receive me back into his family. And you're wondering, can I be a Christian again? And I don't even know why you're here. I don't know why you're listening. Usually sinners at the height of their sin don't want to come back to be a, being a Christian. Maybe something has rocked your world lately. Maybe you lost your job, had a marriage in badly, found yourself in an addiction or whatever it is, and it's rocked your world. You realize I'm not everything I thought I was. Maybe I need a God. Maybe I need a Savior. Man, I want to beg you to listen today. Listen to the call of God. But if you're wondering, can I come home? Can I listen to the voice of God? Will he receive me back? Let me tell you something. See, I thought I'd lost my Xbox account, that I'd never get it back. I'd never be the man 114 again. But it turns out it was paid for. And it was waiting on me this whole time. And you may not think that you can come back to the Lord, but I want to give you some truth today. Your sins have been paid for, and Jesus has been waiting on you this whole time. Repent and believe in the gospel. He will receive you back home today. So that's why today we're looking at the book of Hosea. I want to ask everybody in the room, would you stand just in reverence for the word of God? It's holy, it's special, and so we want to honor his word we're going to read our main text today is Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. It says this, Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain like the latter and former rain to the earth. Thank you so much. You can be seated. Thanks for reverencing the word of God. The book of Hosea falls under the category of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. It's not because they're less important. It's simply because their writings are shorter. So there's 12 minor prophets. And so Hosea is a prophet prophesying to Israel and really against Israel. Because here's what's going on. Israel, it's God's nation. It's God's people. And this is taking place not too long after kind of the height of Israel. You know, they had King David. Their enemies were defeated. They had King Solomon. But some things had gone down, like the kingdoms had actually split in half. So there was a northern kingdom, Israel, and a southern kingdom, Judah. Now, they were both God's people, but they were a split kingdom. And so Hosea is actually prophesying to the northern kingdom named Israel. And so because God had blessed them, had given them peace, material prosperity, things were going good, the people had gotten lazy. They had gotten morally slack. And eventually, they turned their back on God. They began to worship idols. They began specifically to worship the idol Baal. And if you know Baal, he is vicious, he is evil. In order to worship Baal, they would sacrifice their own children to him. They were oppressing the poor. They had political unrest, that they were deposing kings, and they couldn't stick with one monarchy. They couldn't figure it out. They were violent, they were evil. And they had completely and totally turned their back on God. So then God raises up this prophet, Hosea, 
And here's what he says. Hosea chapter 1 verse 2 he says, When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. Now, I know that's a little bit older language. Let me just give you a translation. Hosea, I want you to go and marry a prostitute. That's it. And that's exactly what my man did. He found a woman named Gomer, purchased her, and married her. That became his wife. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I don't really hear about that in, like, Sunday school growing up. Right? There was no flannel graph Hosea. Like, hey, go. Anyways, right? But it happened. And so he goes and he tells him to marry this prostitute named Gomer. And of course, Gomer being a prostitute, after a while begins to cheat on Hosea and just leaves him, departs from him. She's unfaithful to him, though he's faithful to her. But then they have three kids. The first kid is a son named Jezreel. Jezreel is a land. And so God is saying, the land that you're in, the land of Jezreel, I will bring judgment on it because you have rejected me and turned to idols. Then he has a second child. And literally translated, this is a daughter, literally translated, it is no mercy. Because God says, I will have no mercy on you because you've rejected me. Then they have a third child, another son, and they literally translated, he is named not my people. Because God says, you are not my people and I am not your God. Israel totally turned their back on God and now Hosea's family, his marriage is a picture of Israel. That Hosea represents God and is faithful, but Gomer represents Israel and is unfaithful and is cheating on her husband. And then the the children represents how God feels about Israel, that he will bring judgment, that he won't have mercy, that they are not his people, he is not their God. And so you would expect after all of this that God's next response would be, All right, Hosea, here's what I want you to do. Kick Gomer out, divorce her, never talk to her again, and never speak to her again, because this is what I'm about to do to Israel. I mean, it makes sense. This is what she deserves. This is what she's done. But listen to what God says to the prophet. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods. That Hosea had every right to divorce her, to kick her out, to slander her, and God says, no, I want you to be faithful just as I am faithful to Israel, though they've turned their backs on me. I want you to buy her gifts, write her a love song, try and take her out on a date, woo her and call her home. But then listen to what he says about the children. Hosea chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. says, The earth shall answer with grain, with new wine, and with oil. They shall answer Jezreel. Then I will sow her for myself in the earth. See, Jezreel was a land that was going to receive judgment. But God says, what I want to do is bring Israel back into the land and give you blessing. He says, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Though you do not deserve mercy, I will show mercy on my people. Then I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they shall say, you are my God. Listen to that. They had rejected God, worshiped idols, turned their back on him. And God had every right to turn his back on his children. 
And yet he says, I'm faithful to you, and I love you, and I want a relationship with you, and I want to save you. And though you deserve judgment, I want to pour out spiritual blessing. And though you don't deserve mercy, I want to pour out mercy. And though you shouldn't ever be my people again, I want you to be my people, and I want to be your God. And listen to me, if you find yourself identifying with Israel, that you serve the Lord Jesus, but you turned your back on him, and you think Jesus would never take me back, Jesus is speaking these very same words to you. The Lord wants to bring you back into his family, into his fold, save you, change you, and cleanse you, make you a part of his people again. I had a conversation recently that just kind of blew me away, honestly, because it was a situation just like this one, very similar to this one, that it was someone who was married and everything seemed to be going good. And then one day their spouse comes home and says, I'm leaving you. I'm rejecting you. I'm turning my back on you. I don't want this marriage anymore. Turned their back on them, walked out on this person, and is now living with somebody else of the opposite sex, cheating on them. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the hurt and the heartache? Can you imagine feeling like you've been stabbed in the back? Can you imagine the bitterness and the righteous anger and indignation? Can you imagine wanting to, to feel that they should get exactly what they deserve? And yet he says this, Evan, I can't explain it. I can't process it. It must be a work of God. But my love for my spouse has not grown weaker. It's only grown stronger. I don't want to divorce them, but I long for reconciliation. I don't pray judgment on them. I pray that they would come home to Jesus and our marriage would be restored again. Isn't that incredible? That's the picture of the love that Christ has for you. You've turned your back on him and rejected him and worshiped the idols of this world, and yet God is still faithful to you. And maybe you're thinking today, there's no way. How could God ever take me back? How could God ever receive me back after what I've done? Evan, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know who I've been with. You don't know who I've hurt. Man, I've insulted God, the Bible, the church, maybe even this church. How could God take me back? And it's simply because he loves you. Not because you've earned it or deserved it, because he's perfect and he's faithful to you, though you are not faithful to him. And God is calling you home. And I beg you, I implore you, repent of your sins and believe in the gospel. And Jesus Christ will save you and cleanse you and bring him in to his family once again. But I don't know why you're here today. I don't know why you're watching today. Maybe you're watching six months after this originally happened. I don't know why. But I'd be willing to bet that God is doing something to kind of pull at you and draw at you. Right? You don't, you're not kind of at the height of sin and wanting to go back to God. I'd be willing to bet something has happened that has shaken you up to humble you, to recognize your need, that you need God and you need a Savior. See, God had to do the same thing with Israel. As we go back to chapter 6, our main text today, <clears throat> listen to what he says. I'm just going to kind of skip down. For he has torn us. He has stricken us. After two days, he will revive us. 
Now that's good news, but it means that he killed them, apparently. That Hosea is using this kind of metaphorical language to show how God had to actually bring judgment and punishment and discipline on Israel. But for what purpose? To simply hurt them? To simply judge them? No. So that he could call them home to repentance. So that he could paint a picture in their mind that they are nothing without God. That he is their God. That he is their Savior. And they desperately need him. That God humbled Israel so that it would come back to him. Think about how a few years ago I was moving out of my parents' house and I was moving into my very first apartment. And, I mean, I really didn't have all that much stuff, so my brother came over in his truck and he had his trailer. We didn't rent a U-Haul or anything. And so we just started loading all the big stuff into the back. It wasn't very much into the trailer. And then finally it was time to load up my TV. And I already told you how much I like video games, so obviously that was extremely important. Like It was the nicest, biggest TV I had. Now, I didn't say that it was nice or big. I just said it was the nicest and biggest one I had, and I did not want to get rid of it. And so we slide it in the back, and we head over to the apartment. And, and so we've been unloading everything and, and getting all the big stuff in there and setting up the bed. And so finally it came time to bring in the TV. Well, then my brother comes in and talks to me. He says, hey, um, I kind of have some bad news. Um, I'm pretty sure your TV is cracked and completely unusable. And so I walked out there, took a look, and could confirm my TV was cracked and completely unusable. And I'm sitting, sitting here thinking, like, come on. Why? There must have not been some women around because we decided it was a good idea to slide the TV in there and then another piece of furniture with a sharp edge where it could touch the screen. Anyways, that was a mistake on our part. But it was completely cracked, completely destroyed. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do? So I'm sitting there that night, and I'm exhausted. We've been moving in all day. I was like, finally, you know what, let's just do it. I drove to Walmart, got me a nice, big, thin, smart TV with 4K, and I love it. We still have it to this day. But this is a big deal for me, and here's why. Because there was no chance I was ever buying a new TV unless that one was cracked and destroyed. And do you want to know why? Because I'm a cheatscape. I'm like, I'm not even going to try and like make something up. I hate spending money. I'm serious. Like, I don't even buy myself clothes, honestly. Like, it's like a challenge to me. I'm like, hey, I wonder if I can make it only wearing clothes people have given to me, okay? Look at this. Y'all like this outfit? Pretty sure I only bought the socks, okay? So you can thank my family members. But seriously, it's like a goal for me. I hate spending money. And the truth is, I would have never bought that TV unless it was completely cracked and destroyed. I had to have something bad happen before I could have something good happen. And the reality is this, that God realizes that, that you oftentimes will not turn back to him unless something rocks your world and makes you realize your desperate need for Jesus. So I don't know what you're going through today. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you had an, a marriage in bad. Maybe you got a diagnosis you didn't want. Maybe God is speaking to you, shake, shaking your shoulders, saying, come home to me. You need me. But how does this work? I think oftentimes our first thought is this. We freak out and we say, oh, my goodness, God is directly after me. 
Like he is directly, intentionally sending the worst things possible into my life. He is up in heaven throwing haymakers, coming after me because he just wants to get me. And so we start freaking out like, is God doing something? And then we think everything's like final destination. Like when's the next thing coming? Like, but the reality is this. That's not really a great way to live. How are you going to know if God is sending something your way intentionally? And you could say, well, he did it to the Israelites. That's right. But he also sent prophet after prophet after prophet to say, repent of your sins or else I'm going to do this to you. And I'm willing to bet that y'all haven't had anybody show up to your cubicle at work and be like, repent and believe or else. And then name off all of your sins. So just kind of be at ease today. It's not a great way to live wondering if God is always coming after you. But here's what's probably more true. Oftentimes the, the things that shake us up, that humble us, that make us want to return to God aren't because God is coming after us. It's simply the results of our own sin. We're just living out the consequences. See, the Bible calls sin dead works. And when you work dead works, you know what you get? Death. That's why the Apostle Paul says the wages of sin is death. Even if you go read Romans 1 through 3, God's wrath on humanity oftentimes isn't him like throwing some monsoon at him. It's him just saying, fine, your will be done. Have at it. See how that works out for you. Maybe you're watching today. Maybe you're in here today. And you've hit rock bottom. And it's not because God did it. It's because you did it. Maybe that marriage ended not because God got involved or something, but simply you know you didn't treat your wife the way you should have, treat your husband the way you should have. You know you neglected your kids for work. You know you worship money more than valuing your family, and your sins have found you out. Maybe you lost your job not because God came after you, but after you did a bunch of sketchy business deals and stabbed your business partners in the back and X, Y, Z, it's just simply caught up to you. And so I want you to ask yourself this question today. Do I want to keep living like this? Can I continue on living in death? That's an oxymoron for you. Can I sustain this? Or do I need a Savior? And if God is tugging at your heart, convicting you and drawing you because of the sins you've committed, because of the consequences you found yourself in, I beg you today, listen to his call. Repent of your sins and he will save you. But then oftentimes, some of the things that happen, some of the things that shake us up and convict us, it's not because God's doing it. And maybe it has nothing to do with your sin. That's just life. And yet God is still using it to draw you. Maybe you got that diagnosis, not because God struck you down or because of something you did, but that's just how it is living in the fallen world. But God is still speaking through that and say, see, you need me. You're not immortal. You don't have it all together. Please come home. That maybe you lost your job, not because you did a bad job, but because we're in the middle of a global pandemic and that's just how it happened. But still the Holy Spirit is saying, see, you're not your own security. See, you don't have it all figured out. Please come home. And once again, I beg you, I beg you, I beg you. If God is tugging at your heart, don't reject his call. Come home. But finally, what we need, what we desperately need is a Savior. 
Because the things that God sends our way or allows or uses to shake us up aren't the things that save us. The reality is no amount of punishment, no amount of of, of bad situations, no amount of sorrow and hardship can ever pay for your sins. The truth is that you were born in death and you can't give yourself life. The truth is you are complicit in your sin and you can't absolve yourself of your guilt. The truth is is that you desperately need a Savior. But here is some good news for you today. That the same things that God laid on the nation of Israel to draw them to repentance are the same things that God laid on the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you your salvation. We're going to read chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 again, again, and I want you to listen. I want you to look. See if you can see anything familiar. It says this, Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live in his sight. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. We desperately need salvation. You want to know how it happened? 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ was torn and stricken at the hands of a man named Pontius Pilate. Oh yeah, he was punched in the face, he was spit on. He was beaten. He was forced to carry his own cross. That he was made to wear a crown of thorns, both to bring suffering and humiliation on him. That he was forced to wear wear a purple robe to mock him as the king of the Jews and the king of kings, though he really is. That he was put up there on a criminal's cross and labeled guilty, although he was innocent. You want to know why? So that he could take your shame and your guilt and your label as guilty and wash you and cleanse you and forgive you and make you new. That he was torn for you. Oh, but it gets better than that. It says after two days he will revive us. And on the third day he will raise us up. You see, you were born in death spiritual death, and you couldn't give yourself life. But Jesus Christ hung on a cross, and after six grueling hours, he died a sinner's death. And then he laid buried in a tomb for three days. But then three days later, he rose up out of that tomb, conquering the grave, conquering death, so that you could have life in his name. That you lived a life of sin, complicit in sin. Incurring guilt on yourself so Jesus Christ took your penalty on the cross so that you could be forgiven and made new. Oh, but it gets even better than that. He says, let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord as going forth as established as the morning. You see, when you were a sinner, you didn't know God. You were separated from God. When you were a sinner, you were an enemy. But when you become a Christian, you become God's friend. When you were a sinner, you were departed from God. But when you become a Christian, you're brought into his family and adopted as a son or a daughter. 
You see, when you were a sinner, you were under condemnation before the king. But now the author of Hebrews says that when you become a Christian, you can boldly approach the throne room of grace with no judgment or condemnation, but say, Lord, I need some help. I need some strength. I need some wisdom. I need some healing. I need some sanctification. And the Lord is all ears, and he will help you and bless you because you're in restored communion with the king. And then finally he says this. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. That just as rain rains down from the sky and, and produces fruit and produces life, oh, we now have access to the Father. Our sins have been laid on the Son, Jesus Christ. But when you become a Christian, you are filled with God, the Holy Spirit. And just like living water, he produces spiritual life in you and changes you from the inside out. Oh, he changes the way you think. He changes the way you talk. He changes the way that you act. He changes what you think you want. And he changes what you think you need. And he begins to produce righteousness in you. He forms you in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes you brand new. We are not talking about a set of religious ideas. We're not just talking about a set of morals. We're not talking about a self-improvement plan. God doesn't want to make you better. He wants to make you new. Christianity is a transformative religion, a transformative relationship. That God wants to transform you and change you into a brand new person and shape you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yeah, though we have to deal with the consequences of our sin, when we get in a relationship with God, we have hope because of his life and restoration. That there is hope that your marriage will be restored. Yeah, there's hope that you have a good relationship with your children again. There's hope for financial stability, though your sin may have messed you up in that area. There is hope to be free and broken from that addiction to that substance, to alcohol, whatever it is. There is hope in the name of the Lord Jesus. He wants to change you and transform you today. He wants to save you. And you may feel like you've outsinned the grace of God. But just as his arms were spread wide on that old wooden cross, his arms are still open, welcoming you back home. And if he's been tugging on your heart, if he's been drawing you and convicting you, if your world has been shaken, don't throw him off today. Confess your sins, repent of them, and believe in Jesus Christ. And he will make you a son or a daughter of God once Again. So church, would you stand today? I simply want to end with this. If you're a sinner, if you're a backslider, if you've walked away from God, I'm going to give you the opportunity to return to him today. To accept him today. I'm not going to call you down or anything. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. But just take a moment as the Lord speaking. Just take a moment as the Lord drawing. Just take a moment as the Lord humbled you. Don't shrug him off. Oh, God loves you so much. Just come home today. So everybody in the room, would you close your eyes and bow your head? And if that's you, if you need to return to the Lord today, on the count of three, I just want to ask you to raise your hand and just look at me so that I know. I'm going to give you an opportunity to accept him today. 
One, God loves you so much. Two, Jesus Christ died for you so you could have life. Three, who in this room needs to return to the Lord? Thank you. Thank you. I see several hands in the back. Come on, who else? This is your chance. Come home. Thank you. Come home. Anybody else? Praise God. We've had several in the room raise their hands. So here's what I want us to do. I'm going to lead you in the sinner's prayer. I want everybody to repeat after me. But for those of you who raised your hand, I want you to mean it. I want you to believe it. This applies to you. And know this, that after you pray this prayer, receive God into your heart, you are saved. Come on, everybody in the church, repeat after me. Say, Jesus. I'm a sinner. I'm a backslider. I've walked away from you. I confess my sins. I repent. I turn towards you. Forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me new. And now say it. Say, I'm saved. Come on, I'm saved, and I know that I am. It's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Church, can we give Jesus the biggest hand clap of praise for his saving work, his restoring work? Praise God. Praise God. For those of you who raised your hand, for those of you who have given your life back to God online, here's what I want to ask you to do. Christianity is not just a transaction. It's transformation. Get plugged in a church. Get plugged in this church. Start reading your Bible. Get connected in Christian community. Stick it out and let's see what the Lord Jesus does in your life. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.